So what they did is they delegated to the federal government, to, to Congress, actually, the power to coin money. They didn't have they didn't grant the power to print currency. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics. And I am quite excited today because we have a new guest to the show, although someone that I think most of you are probably already well familiar with, who is James Turk, the founder of Gold Money and author of Money and Liberty in the Pursuit of Happiness, and certainly has been one of the voices that I've learned from over the years, going back to my introduction to gold and silver back in 2009, and remember all those years listening to King, uh, King World News and his interviews and one of the great historians out there in the gold and silver community. So a lot to dig into today, especially looking forward to touching on some of the history of gold and silver, especially in the U.S., which perhaps doesn't get as much coverage as it should, although who better to talk with that about than James Turk. So, James, it's a pleasure to have you on here. Welcome on in. And how are you doing today, my friend? Yeah, great, Chris. And it's really wonderful to be with you. Looking forward to our discussion. Well, I'm excited to have you here and obviously a lot to cover. Um, but before we dig into perhaps some of the things that are happening now with gold and silver, and especially as we talked about before we started recording, it seems like we're moving into the next phase of the things that are going on here with the currencies and sound money. Um, but I thought to start with, since you wrote a great email to a bunch of the people in the gold and silver community couple weeks ago that was touching on really what rights the government has in terms of money. And perhaps we could start there of what really is money in the U.S.? How did that come about and some of the key events that have happened in the time since then? Yeah, that's really a good question. You know, you use the term sound money. I prefer the term honest money, uh, because when you truly understand what money is, you don't need a really uh, an adjective in front of it like sound. It's sort of like saying wet water. You know, everybody knows what water is. Everybody should know what money is. And what money really is, is a physical asset. And over time, the preferred physical asset that's being used as money throughout the world is gold and silver. So if we go back to the uh, War of Independence um, here in, in, in America uh, and fighting against the, you know, the British, uh, the British Empire, uh, the money at the time was uh, the British uh, sovereign, which was a, a gold coin that's still in circulation, actually one of the world's most popular coins. But America was actually more involved with silver rather than with gold. And that was because of the Spanish influence in the Spanish uh, empire. The dollar actually is the Spanish real, the pieces of eight. Um, and after the War of Independence, well, let me make an important point here too. What happened during the War of Independence is that the first currency of the country called the Continental collapsed in hyperinflation. Um, and after the War of Independence, one of the reasons why the framers wanted to create a more perfect union was to create uh, a, a monetary base uh, consistent with what was being developed at that time, which was the age of enlightenment. It's the way that it's generally referred to in history. This is the, you know people like uh, John Locke, uh, Adam Smith, uh, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, uh, they're all questioning you know, individuals' relationship to government. And what they created, what the framers of the Constitution created was something truly unique. Uh, you know, feudalism had been um, 
was a, completely abandoned. Uh, and you know, people were completely free based on the premise that they could own their own property and that they could use uh, money uh, in commerce. So when they created the Constitution, um, which uh, to replace the Articles of Confederation, which was the governing uh, uh, relation, govern the relationship between the different colonies uh, during the War of Independence, they wanted to put in the Constitution uh, three important provisions. One is they wanted to have a common defense because Britain was still a, a threat. You know, Canada was still British and Britain was still in the Caribbean. Um, the second thing they wanted to do is to have a common market. Uh, in other words, so that the, the, the new independent states, uh, the 13 colonies, which were now sovereign independent states, according to the Treaty of Paris in 1783 that ended the War for Independence, uh, so that they could have a common market and trade amongst themselves without barriers of any sort, much like the European common market did after the Second World War. And the third thing was to have a common currency. Um, and what they decided to do, therefore, is put into the Constitution some very important monetary provisions, which prevailed um, pretty much until you know Franklin Roosevelt confiscated gold in the 1930s, which is another thing that we can get into. But basically, it said that um, Congress has, uh, let me say also, after the War of Independence, there's 17 powers that were delegated by these sovereign states, the, the former 13 colonies, which had become sovereign states. Um, and these powers were delegated to the federal government. All other powers were reserved to the states or to the people themselves. And that was reconfirmed in the 10th Amendment. So what they did is they delegated to the federal government, to, to Congress, actually, the power to coin money. They didn't have they didn't grant the power to print currency. Um, they, and when you're coining money, you're taking gold and silver uh, and you're turning it into coin and using it as a form of uh, money in transactions. Um, and the other element of that clause, uh, Article 1, Section 8, uh, they said that you can coin money and regulate the value thereof. Now, this is very much misinterpreted this day and age, but what regulate the value thereof meant that they could control the gold-silver ratio so that there was always sufficient uh, metal, both metals in uh, the country, um, so that they could have coins circulating of those particular metals. If the ratio wasn't adjusted from time to time to stay in uh, aligned with market rates, then one coin that was considered more valuable in other countries would be exported from the US and then there would be a shortage of coins. So that's what the regulate the value thereof uh, is. And then to reconfirm that, they uh, the state said that they will not uh, allow anything to circulate as currency except gold and silver coin um, in tender of payment. Um, so as a consequence, uh, um, gold and silver uh, became the, 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 uh, the monetary norm within the country, and actually specifically silver, because that was the common currency in, in circulation. So when they created the Mint Act of 1792 uh, to create the coin, uh, they defined the dollar uh, as a specific weight of silver, and that is the history of the silver dollar. And that's the 371 grains of silver. And like you mentioned, we had a couple points where there was an adjustment to the ratio because as the price of gold and silver fluctuated, times created an arbitrage as the which required the ratio to be updated. How long did that arrangement last for? And obviously there was a lot of legislation between 1792 and when Roosevelt then 
adjust uh, confiscated gold and then adjusted the dollar price of gold. Um, we have the Sherman Act, um, a, a lot of the things in the late 1800s. Where where did things really start to change? Yeah. Uh, well, they first changed the ratio from 16.7 ounces of silver to one ounce of gold in 1837 to bring it down to the more famous 16 to one ratio. And that remained in place uh, until 1900, uh, when the country passed the Gold Standard Act. Uh, and this was a consequence of a variety of different factors that I don't think we need to get into in detail, but basically because internationally gold had been coming, was becoming accepted as the standard. Uh, and the U.S. Uh, ultimately decided to go to a gold standard to be, uh, I think, to facilitate trade uh, with countries uh, around the world. Um, and then things changed in the 20th century. In fact, things started changing by the end of the 19th century. Um, governments and central banks started getting more involved in the in the monetary process. Um, it was left less uh, involved uh, to the private sector. You know, the Bank of England, for example, was a private bank up until um, 1946, after the Second World War, when it was nationalized. Uh, the Federal Reserve is still nominally a private bank, but it gets more and more involved uh, under government controls. Um, but, you know, these banks were issuing the currency. They weren't uh, changing the money. But what governments started to understand, and, and this is all documented in the book, is that in order to have real power, you have to have control of the monetary system. And they can't really control forever gold and silver. So what they do is they control the currency and they've pushed gold and silver uh, out of the monetary system through a variety of rules and regulations and laws and penalties. Um, so the 20th century has been pretty much an horrific thing uh, in terms of history and in terms of liberty, uh, which is a point of the book, because in order to have true liberty, you have to have money that is outside of the control of government. If government is in control of the money, the purchasing power that you earn or the purchasing power that you spend, and sometimes it's more useful to think of money as purchasing power rather than the physical thing that we actually move around from hand to hand or from you know bank account to bank account. Um, the purchasing power, if you can control the purchasing power, uh, you effectively have control of the people. Yeah, and that's something you talked about quite a bit in the first section of the book, why it is that gold does serve that role as money, why it works so well and Perhaps you could talk a little bit more about that and contrast how gold has served as money and how things seemingly went a lot better than when we've had the more fiat-based regime that we're now existing in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you look at the history of the 19th century, uh, gold was confiscated in the 1930s by Lenin in Russia, Hitler in Germany, Mussolini in Italy, and Roosevelt in the United States. Why did they do that? They did it because they wanted to get money. They wanted to get gold out of the hands of the population. Uh, because if they could control the gold, if they had um, laws that prevented gold from circulating as currency, they're controlling the purchasing power. If you're controlling the purchasing power, they're controlling um, the entire economy and, and you. It's called fascism. Um, and, you know, they're all fascists because they wanted to, you know, whether you call it uh, fascism or absolutism or any of the other names that have been used over the over the centuries. It's, you know, somebody's trying to control your life. Uh, and that's what governments have been doing in the 20th century, which is very different from the mindset that created uh, the Constitution 
and established, you know, the 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 uh, the United States of America. So we've digressed. Now the question is, is you know, eventually societal structures change, um, and we've been in an era of government control, banking control. Is this going to come to an end? I think it is. Uh, just like ultimately feudalism came to an end. You know, feudalism has was useful at the beginning. Um, the the lord of the manor pro- provided the protection, and the uh, the people who worked for the the, the lord of the manor um, provided the lord of the manor with the food that they, they were needed. It, you know, it was a very archaic thing, but it worked. You know, in the Middle Ages, um, banking started out in the right right way. Um, it was useful to have a currency circulating instead of money, particularly as international and global commerce developed. But it's become so abusive now uh, that it's no longer uh, doing what it's supposed to do. And in fact, if you look again, the Coinage Act of, uh, the Mint Act of 1790 uh, in America, which was one of the first acts of Congress, it was a capital punishment. In other words, hanging if there was inflation of the currency, or if there was any kind of debasement of the currency, or anything changing the value of what was defined as a dollar, and you know now we've come to accept inflation as uh, as a given, uh, as opposed to what it truly is. Is it's a it's a crime against humanity because you're taking purchasing power out of people who earn it, uh, and you're also disrupting commerce by making it difficult to measure goods uh, and prices of goods and the value of goods. Uh, over time and over space. So, um, you know, we've come a long way. I And I don't think we've got much further to go before ultimately we, we go into a new direction. And given the fact that, you know, gold and silver have been around for 5,000 years, I'm pretty confident to say that that relationship um, is not going to end in uh, the foreseeable future. And as a consequence, whatever we do in the future to come up with some kind of new structure, gold and silver will have a role to play. And I think that's what maybe digital uh, is trying to tell us, uh, you know, digital currencies and all the, and, and how they're evolving. Um, and what, that's why central banks are trying to continue control through the digital currencies that they're creating. Yeah, and I definitely want to touch on what you think perhaps, A, that new structure should be and what you think me, we may well end up with. Although before we get to that, perhaps uh, you, you touched on 1933, 1934, uh, but to continue some of that history, obviously we have the Bretton Woods Agreement. And then following that, we have silver being removed from the coinage, 1965. And then obviously Nixon temporarily suspending the gold backing to the dollar temporary going on for a little while now but uh yeah 50 years temporary yeah so uh perhaps you could just go through those two data points and anything else that has happened since then well it's been an evolution um or maybe uh, devolving is a better word uh of you know honest money to dishonest money um you know and let freer uh, opportunities to use your money however you want to more and more government controls uh, over your money uh, in a variety of different ways. I mean, even in the 1970s, you know, you could go to a bank and you could take out however many, how much cash you wanted to take out. You know, now they control how much cash you want to take out of a bank. Uh, and you can only take $500 or whatever it is out of, a, uh, out of an automatic teller machine per day. So, I mean, there are more and more restrictions on the things that we're using as currency. Uh, and in order to um, 
go back to what was in place uh, at the creation of, of America and, and put into the Constitution, we have to go back in that direction. Uh, we have to go back to freedom, giving people the opportunity to choose for themselves uh, what they want to do with their wealth, what they want to do with their purchasing power, um, rather than uh, you know using this dishonest money, and I should say unconstitutional money, that uh, our currency that's in place. If the federal government isn't delegated any of the 17 specific powers, uh, it can't give that power to someone else. So it can't give to the Federal Reserve the power to print currency if it doesn't have that power itself. You can't give something you don't have. Um, and so we have an unconstitutional monetary system. It's been that way for uh, you know 100 years. Um, and look at the problems that it's created. Look at the inflation. Look at the destruction of the environment. You know, people don't relate money and currency to the destruction of the environment, but they're very closely related because what happens in the in the monetary system today, the government just borrows, the central bank prints it up, uh, and it makes you think you're much richer than you really are. Uh, but debt is not richness. Uh, debt is not wealth. Um, and when you have all of this extra purchasing power created out of thin air by the banking system, it's used for purposes that are harmful to the environment because we're consuming from the environment at a rate that is unnatural. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why a lot of these uh, um, eco-activists are so keen on trying to enlighten people about what's happening, but what they need to do is they need to focus on the role of money in the destruction of the environment. Which makes me guess you're not a, a particularly large fan of Augustine Carson's of the of the school of thought. I heard recently he was out there saying how we need to have a central bank digital currency because otherwise how can the central banks know how every hundred dollar bill is spent? Uh, for example, in cash, uh, we don't know, for example, who's using a $100 bill today, we don't know who is using a 1,000 peso bill today. Uh, a key difference in, with the CBDC is that central bank will have absolute control on the rules and regulations that will determine the use of that uh, expression of central bank liability. And also, we will have the technology to enforce that. Remember, central bankers only tell you what they want you to hear. Keep that in mind. Um, they're not telling you what you need to know. They're telling you what you want, what they want you to hear. So when you look at it from that perspective, you have to doubt everything they're, they're saying and read between the lines. And what the, when you read between the lines, what it usually comes down to is they want more and more control over you, over your life, over your family, uh, over your purchasing power, over your wealth. And that's not free. Uh, you're not. You don't have liberty when you have that kind of imposition being placed on you by outsiders. And that was the beauty of the Constitution and how the American Republic was formed and how it existed for many, many decades until we. Uh, what happened was, uh, as I think one of the reasons is a lot of the people uh, once the generation who fought the War of Independence and created the Constitution and put into place those early governments. Um, that provided freedom for individuals. Once they died away, uh, you know, the second generation recognized it less. Uh, the third gener generation recognized it even even less. And they started taking expedient um, steps to solve some immediate problem 
rather than recognizing the fundamental uh, concepts that need to be followed. And that's why I get back to instead of sound money, I prefer the term dishonest money uh, or dishonest currency, because that's what we're talking about today uh, in throughout the world. Yeah, it it is stunning to see the transition of where this all began to where we padded to now the idea that could some, somehow be, uh, I mean, I get you have money laundering and things like that, but the idea that we're better off as a society if the Federal Reserve or another central bank can track how every $100 bill is spent just seems... Seems like we've gone a little bit down the wrong road. Although with that said, let's say that we had some great news tomorrow and you were put in the position to solve going forward where we're at now. What what would you advocate doing? What what might be a structure? We can talk about having a gold backing, although one of the things that comes up, I wonder with today's regime between the government and the Federal Reserve, how would that actually work? Because one of the things I think it'd be hard for people to trust. I mean, we don't know. We can't get an audit out of Fort Knox. So it's a little bit of a mystery. What do they actually hold? What would be a structure that would actually be feasible? And how, how do you think it actually could work in a positive way going forward? Well, I'll rely to a certain extent on what um, Ludwig von Mises and Friedrich and Hayek would say is that and maybe Milton Friedman as well, you have to get government out of the money business. Um, it has to be private market solutions. And in fact, this was something I had in mind when I created Gold Money, you know, back, uh, we launched in 2001 and the ideas for it go back even further than that. You know, I filed my first patent application in 1993, long before the commercial possibilities of the internet ever got started. But the, the solution is private market uh, solutions and let people compete with one another. The problem today is that the regulations are so heavy uh, that private enterprise is being snuffed out in an area that's very important to government, which is control of the money, control of the currency, uh, control of the banking system. Yeah, it, it certainly is. Uh not going in the right direction. So is that just allowing the private sector to compete? And I guess like most other things, when you have a free market, so would you would advocate not uh, a formal gold backing or a, or a fixed price like we've seen before? Um, well, gold really is, you know, you use gold to measure prices. Uh, an ounce of gold buys the same amount of crude oil it did back in uh, the 1950s. Uh, you know, I remember as a young boy, my parents driving into the local gas station and filling up the family car with two silver dollars or eight quarters, eight silver quarters or two silver certificates. Um, and today, you know, the content of eight silver quarters, um, the silver value could still fill up, you know, the average family car. Uh, that's the beauty of gold and silver. It enables you to perform economic calculation over long periods of time. And that's what's absolutely necessary for creating um, you know, a, a, a sound economy in which people can interact with one another on a level playing field. Okay, and now with that said, what do you think is actually going to happen? And obviously uh, something that's been in the news recently, we hear speculation that at the BRICS meeting in August, they're going to invoke some sort of gold backing to a common currency they have there. Uh, so curious, 
how you see some of these things playing out going forward. Yeah. Well, what I think is going to happen is what I thought was going to happen when John Rubino and I wrote a, a book back in 2004 called The Coming Collapse of the Dollar. And we've talked about the real estate bubble and own uh, physical gold. Um, it was published in 2004. Uh, and in 2008, 2007, when we had the financial crisis, I thought that was probably going to be you know, the end of the dollar. But they managed to keep the bubble up in the air a little bit longer, uh, you know, another 15 years longer, uh, which I wouldn't have thought possible. Uh, but I'm sticking to the same point of view that uh, eventually the dollar is going to collapse, uh, just like all the ed currencies before it. There's been nothing special, and we're probably on the end path now. You know, the, the Federal Reserve, uh, not the Federal Reserve, the Federal Government just added a trillion dollars of new debt uh, to the government's uh, debt in the past month when they lifted the debt ceiling. So things are out of control. Uh, spending is out of control. The creation of purchasing power out of thin air is, is out of control. Um, so, you know, we I don't think it's practical to go back to a gold standard. Um, central banks can't be trusted. Uh, central bankers can't be trusted. Governments can't be trusted either. If you give them the power um, to, you know, create purchasing power out of thin air, which is what central banks do. Now, the thing with the BRICS thing is interesting because, you know, having lived in a bipolar world back in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, um, there, America had much more influence for a couple of reasons. One uh, is that they were on the winning side of the Second World War. Um, and secondly, they had the nuclear umbrella, umbrella uh, as a defense mechanism against um, what was considered back then to be a belligerent, you know, Soviet Union. Um, today, uh, those arguments don't hold water. And in fact, what's happened is the dollar has become weaponized. Um, you know, there's an old saying that, you know, one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. Um, it even applies, you know, in the American War of Independence. You know, the American colonists who fought for freedom were basically looked down as terrorists by much of people back in, in Great Britain and surely those in Parliament. Um, so, you know, it's a big world out there and different people have different points of view. But the way you resolve these issues is to have a common currency, um, a common um, money that's being used. And so it was up until, you know, the 20th century. Um, in the 20th century, we basically abandoned gold, starting with the very first world war, took it out of circulation, um, first in Britain and then eventually in the United States and other countries as well. So I, I don't see governments as a solution uh, for going forward. I really see the private market as a solution. And it's just a question of allowing the private market to operate. And I think it will eventually have that ability once fiat currencies collapse. And I think we're probably close to that, uh, although I've been saying that for a while. So take that with a grain of salt. Well, that, that leads into my next question, a bit of an unfair one in the sense of how long can this go on? I think people were, on one hand, surprised. On the other hand, not at all surprised that we see some banks go down earlier this year and the Fed launches another funding facility, papered over, we move forward. You and I talked before we hit the record button about back in 2008, seemed like things were on the ropes then. Here we are now 15 years later. And along with that, I think one of the things people often mention, which has some credence to it, is that I think there's a lot of people who see the flaws in the system, but 
there's a lot of uncertainty. Well, how do we progress forward without the dollar playing the role? So it's almost we're staying on this thing because it's the best that we've thought of so far. Any thoughts on how much longer this can last or if we're really getting close to that endpoint yet? Well, it, a couple of things. Um, it really depends on you know cash flow. Uh, the Fed is trying to save the system by raising interest rates. Um, and that's what Volcker did, but that was a very different environment back, uh, you know, 30 years ago. The level of debt, the level of derivatives in the system, it just didn't exist to the extent that it does now. So as you raise interest rates, you have to generate more wealth in order to pay, uh, the interest that's due on all of that debt. And there's not enough being, not enough wealth being generated in the system globally, uh, to service all of this debt. So the currency gets depreciated as a consequence. Um, and I think inflation or loss of purchasing power is going to be a big factor. Uh, you can't predict how long it's going to exist. Uh, you just know you're on the wrong road and eventually you're going to get to the edge of the cliff. And if you turn around and go back in the right direction, and I see no indication that we're about to turn around and go back in the right direction. We know what the right direction is. The right direction is using gold and silver and getting rid of all of this debt, getting rid of this ability to borrow uh, purchasing power, create purchasing power out of thin air. But you know, governments are on a high. Uh, they enjoy their position that they've managed to put themselves into, and right. people to a large extent are complacent. But uh, you know that complacency is being tested in a variety of different ways, and we've seen it a number of different times um, in recent years. You know, the one percent uh, riots years ago. The, um, the, the other uh, riots that were taking place during the, the Trump administration, a lot of that complacency is being tested. So, you know, there's a lot of fragility in the system, the financial system. And ultimately, that fragility, I think, is what we really need to focus on. So when I see things like Silicon Valley Bank collapsing, I take these as warning shots across the bow. Uh, you know, the banking system is being propped up $300 billion by the Federal Reserve and $1 trillion by the Federal Home Loan Bank Board. Um, and what they're trying to do is to keep those liabilities in the banking system. And this relates to currencies. You've got to get into a little bit of accounting here because uh, deposits are a liability of a bank. It means that when you make a deposit, you turn purchasing power over to the bank and they now owe that purchasing power back to you. What happened in the 1930s all of those liabilities, all of that currency was taken out of the banking system and you had a massive deflation. What the Federal Reserve and the Federal Home Loan Bank Board are trying to do is to keep those liabilities in the system. So they've been lending to the banks to keep it afloat to prevent deflation. I think they're going to continue that path, with which ultimately to me suggests that we're going to end up in a massive um, flight out of currency. You don't need to have a, um, a rapid increase in M2 or M3, you know, the quantity of currency. Currency, like every other good and service, and money for that matter, is a function of supply and demand. And this is one of the beauties of gold and silver. Uh, the supply is a function of nature um, and the profitability of mining that gold and silver. Presently, fiat currency supply is whatever government wants it to be. And as a consequence of that, uh, they're creating too much fiat currency. And that's going to ultimately, and it has already to a large extent, impacted demand for that currency, which is why the price of 
gold is rising in terms of all the currencies around the world. Um, but an ounce of gold still buys the same amount of crude oil it did, you know, 70 years ago. It's that currencies are losing purchasing power. And this is going to accelerate in the weeks and months ahead, in my view. And that ultimately is going to lead to a collapse of fiat currencies globally. How it's going to play out, I just hope it plays out without any kind of uh, um, war. And uh, hopefully we, hopefully that will, wiser heads will prevail to prevent that. One hopes, obviously, concerning what we've seen, not just in Russia and Ukraine, but how countries taking sides over the past year. Um, but hopefully a more peaceful outcome in the times ahead. And um, another thing that you uh, mentioned in your book that's actually been taking place, uh, I believe your book came out in 2021, and especially 2021, is that right? Yeah, November, and November 2021. You talked about central bank gold buying not really being a good thing. There's that one degree to which we're, we've seen a lot of that in the past two years, and on one hand, seeing perhaps a good sign that there is demand for gold and perhaps pressuring this system as as we know it a little bit more towards what you've been describing. But any thoughts on the central bank gold buying that we've seen the past couple of years? Interesting how you, you had a specific section about that right as it started to accelerate. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's the I guess the morality of it. You know, when you buy gold, you have to work for it. When a central bank buys gold, what do they do? They just run the printing press and they get that gold. You know, how is that fair? Uh, and then to hold that gold and not use it and prevent it from being circulating as currency, which is really what you want to have happen with gold and silver. Um, and whether it's circulated as physical coin or circulated digitally through the internet, um, doesn't matter. It, it needs to circulate because that's, that's the whole key of having, you know, a natural form of money. This goes back to what I call the the theory of natural money. Uh, you know, it's, we've we we've been the earth has been blessed uh, with this money, um, gold and silver, and it's dispersed in a way in the earth's crust, so that even over seventy years, as the amount of gold production has increased and world population has increased, it becomes harder to mine that gold. For example. But gold still has the same purchasing power today as it did in 1950 in terms of buying crude oil. That's what natural money is all about. Uh, we have to go back to natural money. Um, and central banks are not going to do that willingly. Um, they're going to try to continue down the same road of being able to create purchasing power out of thin air. So to the extent that you know central bank buying, quote unquote, takes gold out of circulation, in theory, it's good. But are they really taking it out of circulation? Uh, because if you look at bank balance sheets, they defy generally accepted accounting principles by saying gold in the vault and gold out on loan um, is the same thing. Uh, so we don't really know if they're buying it and they're actually keeping it in their vault or they're actually lending it back out, making believe that uh, the supply of gold is much more abundant than it is in reality, and that's keeping the, the gold price down. So there are perverse aspects to central bank buying, and I'm not a keen fan of central bank buying, but then again, I'm not a keen fan of central banks full stop. Uh, so it's not too surprising that I don't see much benefit in central banks buying gold. Yeah, and in terms of something you mentioned in there, the expansion of the gold supply, we've also had the ad advent of GLD, SLV, and some of these other exchange-traded funds any thoughts on 
the security of those? Um, are there going to be issues in that going forward? Um, obviously, we hear a lot about if you don't hold it, you don't own it. And it uh, seems like a lot of people turn to the ETFs often, which makes it seem like there's a lot more metal out there than there actually is. And what role do you think that has played? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like everything else. There's some good ETFs and there's some ETFs I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. But what it comes down to is when you buy gold, you're buying it for two reasons. Um, you're buying it basically, you know, uh, to, to preserve your wealth and, and you know, to protect against economic uncertainty and things of that nature. Um, and there are two ways to do it. You, you buy it, you store it yourself, or you buy it and have someone store it for you, which is what we do in gold money. Now, I recommend you look at both alternatives and, you know, having some gold at hand uh, and silver at hand is, a, I think, very useful if, you know, economic conditions were to deteriorate or if some surprise events were to happen, regardless where you live in the world. But, you know, how much gold are you going to store in your basement? Uh, you know, are you going to store 50,000, 100,000? Are you going to store a million dollars worth of gold in your basement? At some point in time, you have to feel comfortable uncomfortable by storing too much gold at home and looking for other alternatives as to where you're going to store it. Assuming you want to put 10% of your wealth in physical metal, which I think is a, a minimum that you should have at this moment in time, you have to consider the other alternatives. And that's where professional storage comes in. And when you're looking at professional storage, you want to make sure that the, the gold is safe. It's in different jurisdictions. So you have choice of local, different countries where you want to store it, different vaulting companies, and it's insured and audited. Um, and if they, if they, if the professional firm does not offer those services, then I keep on looking for other firms that do offer those services. Because uh, the most important thing, Chris, is when you buy gold, you always want to be able to say to yourself that it's safe, and you want it to be safe because it's your bedrock asset, and you know that you can sleep well at night when you know that it is safe. That makes a lot of sense. And perhaps the last question before we wrap up here, obviously, we've also seen the advent of gold-backed digital currencies. Um, we have a lot of different crypto projects that touch on gold and silver. And you know, that was something that you've also been studying and sometimes a divisive topic in the gold and silver community. Although, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what role cryptos will play in this and if there's a combination of the metals and the cryptos in a positive way and anything else you'd like to share there. Yeah, uh, two things. Uh, first of all, when you use the term backing, you're implying that it's a liability backed by some asset, uh, which is the banking model. You know, you have a deposit backed by a loan, you have gold in a bank backed by some asset uh, in that bank, you know, gold being loaned out or whatever. I, I don't like backing. Um, I'm, you know, I think the banking model is flawed in many respects. Um, so there's no need to have backing. You can use gold digitally and let it circulate. This is what, what he did back in gold money at the very beginning. Um, it just uh, stays in a vault and it, you, the payer clicks a weight of gold from his uh, holding uh, to the payee's holding and the gold stays in the vault but is transferred uh, and it's being used as currency. But instead of hand-to-hand, -hand, it's going from computer to computer, but it stays within the vault, which has a lot of advantages because it's safe and secure, insured. Uh, it doesn't wear out. You know, coins have attrition, uh, and they then get um, debased by not having the full metal weight that they're supposed to have. 
So that's one element. The other element is that with regard to you know this effort to create cryptocurrencies backed by gold, I, I, you don't need that. Uh, you, you just need to have gold circulating digitally. But I will say that crypto, I'm not going to talk about cryptocurrency, but I will talk about Bitcoin, which was the first one. Bitcoin and gold are complementary. Uh, to a certain extent, they're competitive. But the advantages of one is the disadvantages of the other and vice versa. You know, gold, you can hold the coin in your hand. You can't do that with Bitcoin. On the other hand, gold has been confiscated throughout history by, um, you know, autocratic governments, as we saw in the 1930s, um, how gold was confiscated. Bitcoin, Bitcoin can't be confiscated based on today's technology unless they close down the whole Internet uh, or the electrical grid. And that's not likely to happen because it doesn't serve government's purposes. So I really see the two as complementary. And what Bitcoin is to me, the younger generation doesn't understand like my generation does the use of gold or silver uh, as coinage. So Bitcoin is a stepping stone uh, to enable them to eventually come to understand that digital gold currency is the future. Um, and they'll learn from Bitcoin why digital gold currency is the ideal currency. But the, the two are complementary because of the, you know, the disadvantages and advantages of them offsetting each other. So really, they should be grouped together uh, against the other types of things that are circulating as currency, which is fiat. Uh, you know, fiat is is ultimately what you want to avoid. So where you do want to focus uh, liquidity is in to uh, in physical metal, uh, whether gold or silver. And I I've been an advocate for Bitcoin, and I, I continue to be an advocate advocate for Bitcoin. Um, to a certain extent, you should have some exposure there because I do think it does make sense particularly if you're living in a country where you're concerned about your government and their attempt to try to control your wealth. Which unfortunately certainly is uh, how a lot of people are feeling here in the U.S. these days. So, James, I sure appreciate everything that you shared there, giving uh, a little bit of the history, catching us up on what's going on today and where we may be headed next. A lot of these things you touched on, on your in your book, and perhaps uh, before we wrap up, you could... Let people know anything else you'd like to say about the book, where they can get it, and also uh, about goldmoney.com. Yeah, uh, the book, uh, Money and Liberty, it's uh, available on Amazon.com. There's a lot of history in it. It's you know my 50, 55 years of uh, business experience and my knowledge of you know gold and silver are all rolled into that book. And if you're looking for some educational material and you know my perspective on how to live free, I think it's a book you might want to take a look at. Uh, and also, if you're looking around, you've decided that you want to buy some some gold or some silver, and you may want to store it in different parts of the world, uh, or even you know where you live. Um, if we have a vault in the location where you happen to be accessing it from, uh, take a look at goldmoney.com. We're safeguarding over $2 billion of precious metals owned by customers in over 150 different countries around the world. Uh, we've been operating since 2001, and we provide those uh, assurances of integrity that people need when they're dealing with the internet, with audits and, and insurance. Yeah, and certainly, as you mentioned before, I think that makes a lot of sense what you were saying in terms of not perhaps having $10 million stored in your basement. Uh, I get the whole, if you don't hold it, you don't own it yet. I think there's limits to that. So uh, gold money is something that I've used over the years and 
certainly appreciate that there are services out there because I think there's some point at which it's hard to go through life complete mistrust of everything and uh, I think there's a degree to which we can look at the risks, look at the way things are structured and obviously you have a lot of information about that and the insurance procedures that are in place and I'll have the link to both the book and goldmoney.com in the description field below so people can take a look at that and James, just want to thank you again for making some time. It's honored to catch up with you after learning so much from you over the years. And I think people at home will really appreciate that. And just thank you for all you, you've been doing. And we'll have to do this again someday soon. Thank you very much for your kind words, Chris. And it's been a pleasure chatting with you.